All right, so this morning we're going to be reading out of John 5, verses 1 through 18. So if you'd like to join me, you can go ahead and do so. After this, a Jewish Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. Within these lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been disabled for 38 years. When Jesus saw him laying there and realized he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirring up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down for me. Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man got well, picked up his mat, and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man that had been healed, This is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, The man who made me well told me, Pick up your mat and walk. Who is the man who told you, Pick up your mat and walk? They asked. But the man who was healed did not know who he was, but because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse does not happen to you. The man went and reported to the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing things on the Sabbath. Jesus responded to them, My father is still working, and I am working also. And this is why Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. Almost tripped. Uh, thank you, Casey. Let's, uh, let's pray before we jump into the word together. Jesus, how beautiful to watch you interact with people, broken people. Thank you for this story, thank you for your word, and thank you for who you are. Thank you that what we see in this story as far as your character, your treatment of us, is something we can count on today. Thank you that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. We love you, Jesus. We wanna hear from you this morning. Would you personalize your word today? Would you make it uh, intersect with our actual lives in powerful ways? Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place to be our teacher, our guide, and to transform us. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, everybody. Lovely to see you all. Uh, If you don't know who I am, my name is Ben, and uh, Pastor Simon is not here today. He is at another church, dun, 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 dun. No, he's at another church uh, supporting uh, a friend of his who is preaching, so so I get to share the word with us all this morning. I love this story. Uh, When I found out this was the story I was going to preach on, I was just overjoyed, so excited. Uh, This this story is, is powerful stuff. In fact, I was even sharing with the group of us who meet up uh, to pray before the service. 
uh, those of us who are serving, we, we, um, we pray for a, a good chunk of time before most of us arrive. And uh, I was just sharing with them, I felt, uh, first of all, when I, when I was working on this passage and starting to read and ask God what he wanted to say through this passage, I, I felt that God was saying, this is an important word for our church. And the second thing I felt was a, an enormous amount of opposition uh, I just, I, it, whenever I would sit down to work on it, like logistically things wouldn't work out or like I had like a mental fog and I was like, what is going on? And I think, I think this is just such a powerful word for us in this moment that it's, uh, it, it, it might even be a word that's opposed uh, by the enemy, the forces of the enemy. And I just, I wonder if the best thing we can do to serve our, our king and to listen to our king this morning is to just tune in, to invite the spirit to to speak and to really zero in on our lives in a powerful way this morning. So that's my hope as we jump into this together. I love this story because it shows Jesus in such a powerful light. Uh, when I read this story and other stories like it, uh, the beauty of our King just really comes to the foreground for me. So this story begins with Jesus going to Jerusalem. Now, if, if you're familiar with the gospel stories and you're familiar with uh, uh, anything to do with the story of Jesus, you know that whenever Jesus goes to Jerusalem, stuff goes down. Like, Jesus doesn't approach Jerusalem without knowing that he's going to have a confrontation with the powers of the world and the powers of the corrupt religious system that he's in, uh, in the midst of. And uh, he's, he knows this. He always goes towards Jerusalem, and his disciples are like, uh, in many, many places, in the Bible, his disciples are like, hey, Jesus, is something wrong? Why are you so troubled in spirit? What's going on? Because as he approaches Jerusalem, he knows in his heart that stuff is about to happen. So Jesus shows up in Jerusalem, which means he's on mission. He's on his guard, and he has some work to do. And yet, the first thing I love about this story is that he takes time to go to the pool of Bethesda. Jesus is busy, he's important, and he takes the time to go to the pool where all these ill and needy people are waiting to get healed. This pool, uh, like, like it said, is next to the Sheep Gate, and, uh, and there, was, there was a legend around this pool. Uh, you, you might have heard some, something that the, the, uh, the man said in here about the water being stirred up. Uh, there was this legend around this pool that um, it, it, every once in a while, the water would bubble up. It was like a natural sort of geyser, like it would, it would start to be churned up. And the legend was that at that moment, an angel was going into the water and stirring it up, and so if you were sick or if you couldn't walk or if you were blind from birth or whatever it was, if you had some sort of physical malady and you wanted to be healed, all you had to do was get in the water while the angel was stirring it up and boom, you would be made well. So as a result, uh, these, these people started just camping out all around this pool because the, the legend said that only the first one in the water would be healed. So they're all camping out, just waiting for the moment when it starts to bubble up, and they, they, they might uh, have somebody help them into the water as soon as it happens, or they might you know, do their best to hobble over to the water and get into the pool as fast as they could. And the result was that there were all these people who weren't being healed just waiting for their chance, their shot at healing. And one of these people we find in the text is this man who it says he has been an invalid 
for 38 years. For 38 years. Think about 38 years in the context of the first century when life expectancy wasn't all that much beyond 38. To say 38 years is to say basically a lifetime. So we read about this man who's been kind of stuck by the pool, living on a little rectangular mat that's his whole world for 38 years, an entire lifetime. What, what has been true in your life for as long as you can remember? What, what relationships have been there forever? Have you always lived in the same house? Are there internal things that have always been the same? Like, I've always been really curious. I've always had an engineer's mind. I've always uh, been, been thinking about the world in this way. Are there things such as, I've, I've always struggled to know that I'm cared for. I've always struggled to know if God is listening. I've always wondered if my life will turn out okay. I've always struggled with this or that temptation, this or that sin or addiction, this or that broken relationship, whatever it is, is there something, are there things in your life that have just been there forever, as long as you can remember? That's what's being described with this man here. 38 years, all he knows is his little rectangular mat by the pool of Bethesda, wondering if one day he'll be able to get into the water and be healed. I love that Jesus stops on his mission in Jerusalem and he sees this man. It says, uh, it, when, when Jesus goes to this, this place in verse six, it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew he had already been there a long time, he said to him. So Jesus sees the man. And when Jesus sees, he doesn't just see on the surface level like, oh, I, I see you, hi, I see you. Jesus sees the man and he knows he's been there a long time. Do you sense the compassion that is stirring in Jesus in this moment? One of the things I love about stories like this is they just show Jesus's heart for broken people. Jesus sees that this man has been there 38 years and he knows, he knows. It's as much as to say he understands, he understands. I think for all of us, uh, we, can, we can have this experience of being sort of like the paralyzed man where um, we have some good things in our lives that are pretty constant. If we're lucky, we have families that, oh yeah, 38 years, a lifetime of these awesome supportive relationships. We have some things in our lives that are positive and consistent. On the flip side of that, we also, each one of us, every person I know has some things in their life that are consistent that are sort of a thorn in the side. That are sort of like, this is not super helpful for me, my life, my walk with Jesus, my relationships. Everybody I know has proclivities and tendencies and ways of thinking and agreements they've made with messages they received when they were young that have been with them for a long time, basically all of their lives, and they're not super helpful things. They're not things that help them thrive and have the abundant life that Jesus promises later in the Gospel of John. 
And what happens 38 years on is we just sort of start to get used to that little rectangular mat being our whole world. We start to think that this is just sort of me. This is just the way life is. It is what it is, I heard somebody say this week. Or we might start to say, you know, this is really just kind of who I am and maybe it's just, I gotta learn to live with it and be okay with it because this is just me. I, 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 you know, it's not gonna change. I've tried to get to the pool like three or four or five times, maybe 500 times. I've tried to get there when the water is stirred up. I've never made it. So I'm left with the conclusion, this is just the way my life goes. I heard somebody say, somebody I dearly love who is a deep, 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 profound believer in Jesus say these words to me this week week say, there's only so much healing we can expect in this lifetime. And while that may be technically true, those are the words of somebody who's been living 38 years wanting healing, discovering that they actually aren't getting the healing they're hoping for, and eventually resigning to that little rectangular mat to say, this is just the way my life is. So we start to make these agreements, we start to resign our fate, and we start to just think, this is who I am, this is the way life is, and Jesus sees and understands. He sees the man. He knows it's been a long time that he's been stuck there. Jesus sees and understands. The book of Psalms says that he who watches over us does not slumber nor sleep. He sees the pains that we've lived with over the long haul. In the book of Genesis, Hagar uh, experiences the presence of God and God is named to her as the God who sees. In the midst of her deepest desperation, God sees. I just have the sense that many of us uh, walk around in the world with uh, pains, temptations, problems, issues, lies we've believed that are so, we've lived with them for so long that they almost fade into the background as just like the general tone of our lives. This is just sort of the way our life is. And when Jesus shows up, the first thing he does is say, I see, I see, I know, I understand. You've been living with this pain for a long time. I understand it's been so painful that you stopped hoping it would ever go away. I understand that you've been assuming that because you've lived with this for as long as you have, that it actually is not going to get better. I see the ways you've made agreements with this sin or with this pain or with this wounding to just say, this is who I am. I see, I understand. So Jesus stops in the middle of his busy mission. He stands in front of this man who's been stuck for 38 years and he says to him a very simple question. He says, hey, do you want to be healed? What a ludicrous question. Why do you think I'm living here, Jesus? Why do you think I'm sitting here on this rectangular mat? Why do you think I've been coming to church? Why do you think I'm still praying and reading my Bible from time to time? Why do you think I'm in therapy, Jesus? Do I want to be healed? Come on. 
What a ludicrous question. But I think Jesus seeing and understanding, seeing and knowing where we're at, where this man is at, actually asks the perfect question we didn't know we had to be asked. Do you want to be healed? See, uh, what Jesus does when he enters into this man's world is he doesn't just offer like an arm around the shoulder and like, hey buddy, it's gonna be okay. He doesn't offer him just some money, like here, why don't you, here's enough to get through today. You'll, you'll be good for today, here you go. I, I actually have to get to the temple because I have, I have to duke it out with the Pharisees real fast. So you, you stay here, I'll go. He, doesn't, he actually uh, enters this man's world and he asks a very provocative question. When Jesus shows up in the middle of our uh, little rectangular world, in the middle of our resigned existence, when Jesus shows up, he disrupts our ways of thinking. He has very disruptive, provocative questions like, hey, do you want to get better? And we go, what? Better? Yeah. What? Core? What? Yes. Better? What? What is that? We get very uncomfortable very, very, very quickly. I think what Jesus sees and knows about this man that he's been, is that he's been living in this pain and in this uh, state for so long that he actually doesn't even know if he wants to be better anymore. He doesn't actually even ask himself that question. It's no longer a burning desire in his heart. And for me, sometimes in my life, I can have wounds or lies or sin issues or whatever that linger and linger and slowly just chip away and chip away and chip away to the point where there are days when I sense Jesus saying, hey, do you want to grow? Do you want to become more like me? Do you want to be transformed? And I honestly have to go, you know, I haven't considered that in a while because I've just kind of been stuck here. So I haven't actually considered if, if I want Jesus to transform me because I've gotten really used to just where I'm at. The problem with being in pains and uh, brokennesses and issues for a long time is they can start to become really familiar and really comfortable and maybe even after a while comforting and maybe we actually begin to kind of like it. And we're not sure we want to go through the bother of letting Jesus step in and disrupt and heal. Jesus asks a really disruptive question, and the man answers in a really surprising way. The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus says, hey, do you wanna get better? Do you want to be well? And the man says, I can't. I have no way to get there, and every time I've tried to get there myself, someone beats me to it. Do you wanna get well? I, I can't, Jesus, I can't. That is the voice of disappointment. That is the voice Jesus, I think, is intentionally unearthing by his question. Jesus wants the man to come to the place where he admits, 
I've kind of lost hope, Jesus. I've kind of lost hope that this is actually going to change. The, the vision in our lives sometimes, the vision for change can just sort of start to slowly erode over time to the point where when Jesus steps into our lives and shows up and the spirit pours out through a scripture passage or through a song or through a sermon or a conversation with a friend or a group discussion at Ecclesia, when, when the spirit shows up and we sense this invitation into living in a transformed, a new way, we step, we pull back. Because we, we've made an agreement with our circumstances so that when Jesus says, do you wanna get better, the agreement we've made is I can't. Every circumstance of my life has in some way confirmed the agreement I've made that this is just who I am. This is the way my life is. This rectangle is it. And so Jesus unearths this voice of hopelessness. And the man basically is saying uh, what I think many of us have said in our more honest moments. He's basically saying, uh, Jesus, you're asking if I wanna get better and I, what I'm trying to tell you is everything that I know to do to get better isn't working. Uh, I, have, I have faith in this sacred pool, Jesus. I have faith in this city of God and that it heals people. And by default, I have faith in God. And I'm sorry, Jesus, but it's not working. So maybe it doesn't work for me. Maybe it doesn't work at all. Maybe the problem is with me or maybe the problem is with God, I don't know. But you ask if I want to be well and I'm just here to tell you that everything I've heard to do just doesn't seem to be working. Basically the man is out of strategies. Long ago he exhausted his list of what to do to get well. And so when Jesus asks do you want to be well, it's almost offensive. When people talk about growing in Christ-likeness in church and being transformed and letting God deal with our sin and our brokenness, does it ever feel a little bit, a little bit offensive? A little bit frustrating? Like, yeah, but I've tried all the stuff you said to do. I've read my Bible, I've prayed, I've gone to Ecclesia. Shoot, I've gotten therapy, I've gone to support groups, I've done all the stuff. I'm here every week. It hasn't worked. Do I wanna be well? That's not even on the table anymore because the process isn't working for me, Jesus. See, Jesus, this is really interesting. Jesus wants to have a conversation with this man about a vision of wholeness. What would your life look like if you were well? Who would you be if you were whole and well? And the man says, "Mm -mm, the means aren't working. Jesus is having a conversation about vision. The man wants to have a conversation about means. There's a really uh, famous philosopher and theologian uh, who uh, until recently was alive. He's a contemporary of ours. His name uh, was Dallas Willard. Uh, Maybe you've heard of him. And uh, while we were all uh, growing up in our faith, Dallas Willard was like leading the charge of Christian transformation. His whole thing was how do Christians change to become more like Jesus. That was like his whole big thing. And he had this really famous uh, vision for change that he created that he sort of would teach people. 
He called it VIM, V-I-M, vision, intention, and means. And he would say, in order to change, you have to have a vision for why the change is good. Why would I want to get over this? Why would I want to stop believing that lie? Why would I want to let Jesus heal me? Why would this change be good? Have the vision, this burning passion for wholeness. And then we have to just very simply make the intention, I am going to seek that kind of change. And then we move on to the means. What will help me do this? Do I need to talk to a pastor? Do I need to be in a specific group? Do I need to uh, pray and read my Bible more? Do I need to start journaling? What is it? Big things and small things. We need a vision for why the change is good. We need to make the choice to change and then find the appropriate means to do so. Unfortunately, many of us, just like this man, begin with the means. Well, I know I should be better. Well, I know that this is kind of an annoying thing to everyone around me, so I guess I'll try to get better. Well, I know God wants me to heal. Well, I know that uh, I've been told that this is the whole point of life is to get better and become more like Jesus, so I guess I'll try to find the right means. And I've heard my pastor say over and over and over that I should read my Bible and pray and I should do all these things, which by the way are good things. So I'm going to do those things, but we never actually stop to wonder, what's the vision? Do I really want to be well? What Jesus is doing is trying to ignite a spark of vision for what wellness and wholeness and healing could look like for this man. And he unearths this hopelessness of Jesus, even if I wanted to be well, the means aren't working. He brings the man to a point where he's at a dead end. My strategies have failed. I have no more tricks and schemes to try. I can't get into the pool. Someone always beats me to it. It's nice for you to talk about me being well, but it's been 38 years, Jesus, and it just ain't working. At this moment, uh, we don't know. We don't, we don't get a picture of how Jesus responded, uh, like vi- visually, but I, I, I wonder if there was like a little twinkle in his eye, a little half smile, a little, a little bit of joy at the man's honesty, his honesty, honestly expressing his hopelessness. But we do know what Jesus says in response. Verse eight, Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed, and walk. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. How gracious of Jesus not to argue with our despair, not to dismiss our pain, not to try to convince us that there is actually a process for healing, How generous and kind of Jesus just to look us in the eye and say, do you want to be well? Stand up. Because that forces us to make a decision, doesn't it? It forces us to make a decision. Will I abandon all these other means of healing? And I may come back to them. Jesus may tell me to go get counseling. He may tell me to go read my Bible more. He may tell me to go do this. But will I, for the moment, push all of that aside? Will I trust the man who's telling me to walk? 
Will I trust the man who's telling me to get up, pick up this little rectangular mat that is all I've ever known, and will I follow him? That's a hard choice. But I will say for myself, when I've had long-held pains and brokennesses and sin issues that Jesus wants to heal, I work and work and work and work and work and I try on my own to get better and I keep failing, I keep failing, I keep reverting back into old patterns over and over and over and over and it becomes discouraging and I think maybe this is just the way I am. Maybe this is all I can expect this side of heaven. And then Jesus shows up in my life and he does it over and over and over until I get the picture. He shows up in my life, he says, do you want to be whole? And at the moment when I can finally say, I do want to be whole, but all my strategies have failed, Jesus will give me an invitation. Will you trust me? Not your strategies, not the best advice around you. Will you trust me? Will you stand up? Will you walk? And when that invitation comes, we each have a choice of whether or not we, I'm actually good, this is okay, I'm fine, thank you. I can't walk, but I'm fine. Or whether we actually do what the man does. And at once the man was healed and he took up his bed and he walked. Think about the scope of this healing for a second. Uh, Jesus doesn't just like take away the physical pain He doesn't like anesthetize the man. Jesus doesn't uh, just bring him a friend and say like, well, this guy's gonna gonna sit with you and he can help you into the pool next time it's stirred up and I don't know, maybe maybe it'll work. Uh, Jesus doesn't like just accommodate this man in his brokenness. Jesus does this radical, broad, totally revolutionary kind of healing where, think about this, for 38 years, this man's life has been this rectangular mat. That is all he, this has been the scope. These have been the boundaries. This is his life. When Jesus shows up and he responds to the invitation Jesus is offering, he picks up the mat and now the whole world is open to him. The whole world is now his life. He can go anywhere, do anything, be anything, meet anybody, talk to anyone, seek God here, seek God there. He can do whatever he wants. Jesus doesn't just expand the boundaries of this man's life like a little bit. He doesn't put another mat down alongside him and saying, now you can spread out a little bit. You're welcome. He says, how about we get rid of the mat altogether? Better yet, why don't you roll it up and carry it with you? Because you're going far. You're going farther than you even knew there was still a world out there. You're going beyond the boundaries of the pool of Bethesda. You're going beyond the boundaries of this area of Jerusalem. You're going beyond Jerusalem. You, your life just opened up in massive, unbelievable ways. Jesus, when he heals, when he moves in power, he doesn't just fix a little thing and fix a little thing. He comes into our lives to heal on an abundant scale an abundant scale. This is so hard. This is so hard for our jaded hearts to believe. In our lives where we're used to limping along. I heard a famous, uh, a very prominent Christian leader say this week, he said, you know, most people when they come to church, they're just trying to make it through Thursday. I'm like, That's, that feels true. Not everybody, but a lot of folks. 
And we get so used to our limping lives, our hearts get a little jaded, and when Jesus talks about abundance and like radical healing, we're like, uh, maybe, sure, I sort of believe it in theory. I've been wrestling with this personally lately. Um, my, my dad is a pastor in Clackamas, Oregon, and uh, a seminary professor um, at Western Seminary, and he and I have a podcast that we do for his church. Um, it's like, a, we just basi- basically it's just us quoting our favorite authors over and over. It's, it's very nerdy, very, very nerdy. Uh, but we do have a podcast for his church, and this, this season that we're currently doing is, uh, it just randomly, I was like, what if our theme was abundance? And you know, what if we looked at the Gospel of John and saw all the different promises of abundance in the Gospel of John? So all the different promises Jesus makes, like you will have life and have it abundantly, or in John 15 when Jesus says, your jo- my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete or full or abundant. All these promises of abundance, and I made this like outline for the season and everything we're going to talk about and then I honestly like had this moment of going oh shoot do I do I really believe all this because you hear Jesus say something like I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly and honestly something in our jaded hearts goes really are you are you sure could that really be so and what does that even look like abundance we need the Spirit's help to even begin to conceive of what Jesus might want to do to transform our lives. The book of Ephesians says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we could possibly ask or imagine. That our lives, wherever they've been for 38 years, for longer, wherever they've been for our whole lives, that that is not the final word. We're not stuck there till we die because God can do immeasurably more than we could possibly ask or imagine. This man doesn't just get comforted. He doesn't just get anesthetized. He actually gets transformed and the world opens up before him. This is Jesus' heart for all of his broken people. This is Jesus, let me say it again. This is Jesus' heart for all of his broken people. Are you sure, Ben? What about all the other people at the pool that didn't get healed? We'll talk about that in a second. Jesus makes it very clear that his heart for each one of us is healing. I love in the first chapter of the book of Mark when this man comes up to Jesus and he kneels down before him, he's a leper, and he says, Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me. And Jesus just looks at him and goes, Oh, I'm willing. And he heals him like that. And there's something in us that wonders, Jesus, are you willing? Are you really, I know you can, but do you want to heal me? There's only so much healing we can expect this side of eternity. So, I don't know, is, is that actually something you want for me? But then we start reading in the scriptures about what Jesus and what, what the God in the Old Testament wants to do for his people. We read in places like Psalm 103 that says, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits. Bless the Lord, all, O my soul, who forgives all your sins, who heals all your diseases. I looked it up in Greek, the word all, actually means all, heals all your diseases. God wants to heal at this scale each one of his broken children. Each one. Okay, so what about all the people at the pool that didn't get healed? 
no hope for them? Is that what we're saying? They didn't believe enough, they didn't believe rightly. How come Jesus didn't talk to them? I mean, we, at least we don't have a record of him talking to them. What's the deal there? We have to start to wonder, is the healing heart of Christ really for everybody? And, and that's a real question that I don't wanna answer too quickly. Because if we give ourselves easy answers to that, then we might actually uh, continue to wonder and continue to wrestle and continue to think like maybe God's healing isn't for me, but for the sake of time, I'm just gonna tell you what I think. Uh, Jesus, God's heart is revealed uh, to us in the Bible. Uh, We have to, we have to to trust God's self-revelation. If we try to understand who God is on our own, we will always, always, always get uh, end up winding, winding up uh, way off base or we will fall short in some way or we will make him too small or we'll make him just too weird, something he's really not. We have to trust his self-revelation. And God reveals himself in the Old Testament in very specific ways. And I love uh, one, of the, one of the best places to look and one of the most often repeated passages in the Old Testament is when God reveals himself to Moses. Uh, this is in Exodus 34. And, and, and uh, Moses says, would you declare your name to me, God. Declare your name to me. And so the glory of the Lord passes before Moses, and God says this about himself. He says, I am the Lord, or Yahweh. I am the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and mercy, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, maintaining love to a thousand generations, yet I do not leave the guilty unpunished. I do deal with sin. Okay, this is God's self-revelation of who he is. And we sense his heart to heal the waywardness, that's another quote from, the, uh, from elsewhere in the Old Testament, uh, to heal the waywardness of his people. This is what Ezekiel's talking about in uh, Ezekiel chapter 26, 20, 26, when God says, I will remove their heart of stone, I will give them a heart of flesh, and I will move them to keep my commands. And that is where it says, I will heal their waywardness. What God is actually about is taking broken human beings, turning them into whole image of God people. That's what God is about all through the Old Testament. So he begins to make these promises, especially in the Psalms, but all over about, I will heal all your diseases. I will heal you when you call to me. He starts saying all these things and we're like, wait, how does this actually work out? Because people at the pool of Bethesda weren't healed. Jesus went on to the temple and they were still stuck at the pool. And I'll say a couple of things about that. First of all, just because we don't see the healing in the story doesn't mean it's not available to them as well. But the other thing I will say is if we read the whole story of the Bible, we see God's heart for his people. In the book of Revelation, uh, we hear from Jesus seated on the throne. It says, the one seated on the throne said to me, behold, I am making everything new. And then then he describes the city of God, this garden-like city of God, where there is no need for the sun because the glory of God shines so brightly. And in the middle of this city, there is a river of life that flows from the throne of God. And on each side of this river is the tree of life. And it says this, the, the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. The, the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. 
when God makes all things new and, and new creation is brought to its fullness, all will be healed. And the story of Jesus is that new creation is breaking in here and now. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus healed the crippled man. New creation is breaking out all over any day now, any day now. Jesus will come into your life and say, do you wanna be well? Any day now, new creation will reach its fullness when our king finally returns to set up his good kingdom. We will be healed. We will be healed. And as we learn to trust that and believe that all will be well, that God will restore all things, that the leaves are for the healing of the nations, that my brokennesses will be healed, the more we learn to trust that, the more we have eyes to see here and now when Jesus shows up to bring immense healing into our lives even before the kingdom coming. We have to know We have to believe, we have to trust in the healing heart of God so when Jesus shows up in the midst of our long-term brokenness, we have eyes to see the healing that he is offering each one of us. There's a great quote by the famous C.S. Lewis that encapsulates this very well for me. This is from his book, Mere Christianity. He says, if you are a poor creature, poisoned by a wretched upbringing in some house full of vulgar jealousies and senseless quarrels, saddled by no choice of your own with some loathsome sexual perversion, nagged day in and day out by an inferiority complex that makes you snap at your best friends, do not despair. He knows all about it. You are one of the poor whom he blessed. He knows what a wretched machine you are trying to drive. Keep on, do what you can, and then listen to this. One day, perhaps in another world, but perhaps far sooner than that, he will fling it on the scrap heap and give you a brand new one. When we can see the healing heart of God and that he will ultimately have victory, and when the kingdom comes and the king sits on the throne, that all will be healed. The more we see that, the more we can trust that Jesus actually is bringing new creation. It's popping up everywhere we look. It's transforming lives, it's transforming communities everywhere we look. And we can be a people of new creation even here and now. So Jesus is standing here and he is asking us in our 38 years of brokenness, in our resignation that says, I can't get better, all the methods don't work for me. He's actually standing here and saying, forget your methods, forget your strategies, look at me, do you want to be well? It is available it is available and it's not available in some tricky scheme it's not available in installments of 1999 it's available in Jesus the healing king the last thing I'll say is this Um, it's clear from the story that healing does not equal smooth sailing healing does not equal easy life Immediately after, after this man's life is restored and all the horizons are opened up for him, he gets in trouble. And he gets Jesus in trouble. 
and suddenly he's at odds with the power structures of his own day. The power structures of the world that we live in, the social influence groups, the political powers, the corporations, they all have a vested interest in keeping us broken because then we need them in ways that are beneficial to them. Which tells me this, when Jesus shows up in your life and he says, stand up and walk, and you actually do it, and you let him transform your life in that powerful way, that you're probably, <laughs> you're probably gonna run into some friction with family systems, or friend systems, or work systems, or political systems that would rather you just stayed the way you were, thank you very much, it's not helpful for us when you change. So I just wanna point out that healing actually doesn't necessarily mean in this world, in this broken world, doesn't necessarily mean smooth sailing. It actually means when we are healed, this is, I'm landing the plane, I promise. I know we're going a long time. Uh, when we are healed, we are actually enlisted into God's new creation army. When you have new creation poured out abundantly in your life, you get to go like just like this man and say, you know, you might be angry at me. I don't know, you, you might not like the changes that have happened. You may not like the new, healthy, whole, Jesus-filled me. I'm sorry that you don't like it, but Jesus is the one that told me to stand up and carry my mat, and I'm following Jesus, and you know what? Maybe you should meet him too. Why don't you go, don't talk to me, why don't you go talk to Jesus? We get enlisted into his new creation army, so suddenly it's not just Megan or Rebecca or Adam, it's all of us starting to experience new creation popping up in our lives through the power of the living Jesus when he comes into our broken life to say, you wanna be well? Get up and walk. It's clear in the scriptures that when Jesus heals us, it's not for ourselves alone, but it is for the whole community around us. The worship team can go ahead and come up. In a moment, we're gonna do a communion. Uh, and I would invite you when we do that, uh, if, if, you're, if you're new, sorry, if you're new to uh, church or to the faith, Communion is just something we do uh, as believers to commemorate the great healing work accomplished by Jesus on our behalf. And, uh, and so I'd invite you, if it's something you'd like to participate in, come to one of these two sides and, uh, and just go ahead and uh, take the bread, dip it in the juice, take it back to your seat, and just on your own with the Lord or, or with the Lord and a person next to you, go ahead and just take it at your own time. Um, and what I'd like us to consider is, is um, what this man was invited to consider, which is uh, my, my, my life may have had some disappointments. For this man, his whole life was full of disappointments. Um, and maybe my strategies for life haven't worked out. Maybe, maybe the things I did to heal actually haven't produced that much fruit. And this man then was confronted by the living Jesus standing in front of him, full of power to heal. And when we encounter the, the bread and the juice in communion, we, uh, we in, a in a very uh, profound metaphorical sense, we, we really do encounter Jesus, the living Jesus. 
He instituted communion for us, and so when we take it, we actually do experience his presence in a really powerful way. So I just invite you to let the living Jesus come to you in this moment of communion as you remember his body that was broken for you and his blood that was poured out for you. And just let him, uh, listen to him asking you, hey, do do you want to get well? You might not have something that's been lingering for 38 years. You might just have something that's been bugging you. Okay, do you want healing? Do you, do you want to actually move past this and let the horizons of your life open up past this? The way, th- the way to that is Jesus, who broke his body for us and poured out his blood for us. So as we come to communion, just slow down, encounter the living Christ who's here in this room. By his promise, he's here in this room as we gather. And just listen to him ask you, hey, do you, do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And then take the elements at your own pace. And we'll sing one more song together. The tables are open.